from the book of Zechariah. The book of Zechariah in the Old Testament, if you'll turn there to chapter 2. Zechariah chapter 2, it, verse 1 through 4, it says, Then I raised my eyes and looked, and behold, a man with a measuring line in his hand. So I said, Where are you going? And he said to me, To measure Jerusalem, to see what is its width and what is its length. And there was the angel who talked with me going out, And another angel was coming out to meet him, who said to him, Run, speak to this young man, saying, Jerusalem shall be inhabited as towns without walls because of the multitude of men and livestock in it. Good morning. I will echo the welcome of others and we know we've got visitors with us this morning we are glad that you're here and hope that you'll stay around for just a few minutes after our service that we can get a chance to get to know you but we are glad for your presence today and thank you so much for being here and once again happy father's day our lesson is not particularly on father's day but it's on parenting in general this morning and i will meet you there in just a moment zechariah chapter two let me say just an apology briefly this morning for those of you that might have gone online to look for bible class this morning I did make one, I did record it. Uh, the problem was is that there's a setting on YouTube that you have to schedule the video to go live on a certain date. I did that for Alan's lesson for this evening. That's gonna go live about noon. But uh, for whatever reason, the one that was for the Bible class this morning is not, uh, was not there. I have rectified that. It should be online now. Please don't watch it now. But uh, realize that it's there just in case you're, you can't choose between which lesson you're gonna hear. I, I'm sorry, that's just not the way it works. But uh, realize that that's on there, and I hope that you'll, uh, you'll get your Bible. And we're studying through the book of Genesis online, and that's our online class. And Genesis chapter 24, a tremendous chapter if you want to uh, go ahead, and, and even if you haven't been keeping up with the Genesis lessons, it's a great one to watch, especially about uh, uh, choosing a mate, especially about uh, enlisting ourselves as servants of the Lord. And I hope that you'll avail yourself of that opportunity. The psalmist prayed in Psalm 90, verse 12, Teach us, O Lord, to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. The songwriter that we sometimes sing asked the question, How are we using God's golden moments? And looking at our lives, on the outset, surely we can understand that there are some things that we ought to be passionate about in our lives. There ought to be some things that we are urgent about with our lives. And of course, we know that urgent things come along from day to day based sometimes on whatever we're facing that week. If you've got a car that's kind of overheating whenever you're sitting there idling, kind of like what I do, that's probably something urgent that you want to get taken care of that can't wait and that can't uh, can't just be passed off and passed off and passed off as far as the opportunity goes. We recognize there's urgency in that. You know that there's projects sometimes that come up in work that are stamped urgent. We need to take care of this post-haste. It needed to be there yesterday. And so in doing so, you drop everything else and you pick up that particular activity until it's done to completion. There are urgent things. But when we talk about the time that we're given here on this earth, And when we talk about our responsibility, particularly as parents and sometimes as grandparents, we recognize that the time we have has to be treated with urgency when it comes to dealing with our children. 
There's coming a time when our children are going to leave our houses. There's coming a time where our children are going to go off on their own and leave out of the protection of the roof, out of the protection of the home that we've established for them, and they are going to have to, well, for the colloquialism, sink or swim on their own. There are some things that are urgent in our lives. When you're looking at Zechariah chapter 2, Beginning at verse 1, note that Zechariah just begins by saying, I lifted up my eyes. This lesson this morning is intended for us to lift up our eyes as parents, as grandparents, as interested parties who are concerned about our young people and who want them to do what's right and want them to live lives that are pleasing to the Lord. We've got to lift up our eyes. Jesus would tell his disciples in John chapter 4, after talking to the Samaritan woman there by the well, lift up your eyes. Don't you recognize here's a tremendous opportunity with these, with these Samaritans? Don't you realize that there's an opportunity to share the gospel with these people? Just lift up your eyes and look. The fields are widened to the harvest. Zechariah starts off by lifting up his eyes. But note there's a young man that's got a measuring line in his hand. He's going to measure the city of Jerusalem. And there's an angel there talking to Zechariah, and another angel comes and he says, go and run and tell that young man. Go and run and tell him. Here is a message of urgency. And I want to concentrate on that phrase from Zechariah chapter 2 and verse 4. You see, God's message in this particular instance is a message of hope. It's a message of boundless blessing. This young man just thinks that there's going to be a time when the people are going to come back and he's just measuring Jerusalem and seeing how many people can fit in the city, how big the city can be and, and have a maximum occupancy. And the message God gives this messenger to go and run and tell this young man to say, listen, it's not how big Jerusalem is. It's about how many people are going to occupy not only the city but the surrounding lands because that's the God that we serve. It is a message of boundless blessing for their lives. But he says, you need to go and you need to run and tell that young man this message. Consider just for a few moments this morning, why do we need to run to our young people? Why do we need to share with them a message about the greatness of our God and how he's going to bless their lives? We need to run and tell the young man Number one, because time is running. Because time is running. I was thinking about the Bible just in general the other day and thinking about we like to uh, be, get philosophical with regard to time. My grandparents years ago introduced us, my, me and my brother, when we would go and spend the summer, two days of our lives. I'm not proud of it, but that's just the nature of the fact. And there would always have that voice with the hourglass spinning around right there at the very first of that show. And, and please don't admit that you know this, but the man would say, as suns through the hourglass, so are the days of our lives. And we like to think about time and, and uh, all we are is dust in the wind and those type of things. By and large, you're not going to find that kind of uh, 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 philosophizing with regard to the way that the Bible talks about our time. If you go to James chapter 4, James chapter 4, he's going to mention what is your life. It is but a vapor that appears for a short time and then vanishes away. 
you ever made tea and you stick that tea kettle there on the, on the hot stove and you turn it on, you wait for that whistle and you, you notice how quickly that vapor comes out of that end of the tea kettle and then it's gone. James says, that's your life. And making an understanding that you need to make sure that you're prioritizing things and you're considering God's will and your plans, he says, that's what your life is. Consider that. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 and 16 Doug read from a book of Ephesians this morning and talking about parents and their responsibilities and children's responsibilities to their parents. But Ephesians 5, 15, and 16 says this, See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools but as wise, redeeming the time, buying back the time. James says there are certain things about our lives that we absolutely need to treat as urgent and we need to be wise about those things. Practically, we cannot reclaim wasted time. There is no way that we can go back and say, I would like a do-over with regard to our time and with regard to how we spend that time. Consider just for a moment, if we think about this, I calculated this first with an average age or with an average of 24 hours to live. If you just had one day to live, and that was a 24-hour time period, you were a newborn at midnight, at uh, 12.01 a.m., and then you had 24 hours in which to live until the time of your death at 12, well, uh, 12 midnight. You have that one day to live. If you are going to be 20 years old, for you, it's just past 6.24. 6.24 in the morning, about the time that, well, hopefully most of us would get up. When you think about being 30 years old, you're now looking at a time which you're just past breakfast time, 9 a.m. for most of us. When you look at somebody who, like me, is about 40 years old, you are now about halfway done. Again, assuming about 80 years to live, it's just past lunchtime, just past noon. You look at somebody who is 50 years old, 3.18 p.m., when you consider somebody that's 60 years old, now it's getting right about supper time, 6.22 p.m. And you move along and you think about how quickly that time goes. That ought to put it in perspective for us to think about that if we're going to talk about that with regard to 24-hour time period. How are you using God's golden moments? Are you a person who's praying, God, give me a heart of wisdom to number my days, Psalm 90 and verse 12. We're making applications specifically for parents. When we think about running and telling our young men, with children leaving home at graduation, as is most often the case, if we start out and saying children leaving home at graduation, if you have a newborn this morning, you have about 940 weeks with that child until that child leaves after graduation. When you talk about having a third grader, now you've just about cut it in half, 520 weeks left. When you look at a fifth grader, 416 weeks away, graduation is. A ninth grader, 208 weeks till graduation. A twelfth grader, somebody that just finished the 11th grade, I know it's the month of June, you've got less than 52 weeks. For some of us, we might be tempted to say, it can't come soon enough. I'm ready for this child to get out of my house. Yet at the same time, we need to understand, brothers and sisters, the time we've given, been given is precious. And that's time we can never reclaim. Run. Tell the young man the message of God's goodness and the message of God's blessing because time is running. Number two, run. Tell the young man because young people are running. 
Young people are running. We act as if we will live forever. We act as if sometimes we will have these young people in our houses forever. Again, I draw your attention to Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 and 16. Consider the time. Redeem the time. Buy back the time. Proverbs 22 and verse 6. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Doug, again, read from Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 4, responsibilities to children and parents, but also, fathers, bring up your children in the training and the admonition of the Lord. That doesn't happen by accident. And brothers and sisters, as fellow Americans, most all of us, I would assume, as people who live here in this country, we've got our children, and we as adults are running from a very young age. From a very young age, we have very busy schedules. Regardless of whether or not we think it's good, regardless of whether or not we think it's right, that's just the way it is. And looking at our lives and thinking about how we run from one thing to the next, from piano lessons to sports practices to games to schoolwork to extracurricular activities to time spent with friends. Folks, if we're going to be influential in the lives of our children, we have got to make an interest in spiritual things and we had better be running. Making the most of every opportunity that God presents used to, I know it's ancient, but you used to have to go to the phone on the wall and pick it up and use the little rotary thing if I wanted to call one of my friends on the, on the phone. I know a lot of times they text each other, and I don't know how that happens, but, you know, Alexander Graham Bell worked and worked and worked to get it to, to where we could talk to each other, and now we're back to, you know, the telegraph to where we communicate in that, that respect. It's funny how things go, go around and come around. But whenever I'd pick up the phone and call my friend... The first question that I would ask him is this, what are you doing? What are you doing? And I would assume, because people don't necessarily fundamentally change, we ask the same question. And our young people and our friends ask each other the same question, what are you doing right now? What's going on in your life? Do you want to do something? That's a valid question because, well, we want to know and we want to be involved with one another. But how often do we consider this question? What are you becoming? What are you becoming? See, we concentrate so often on what are you doing, and we don't really think about what we're becoming. The truth is we are all becoming something. We are all on a journey of character, and we are all on a journey of integrity. And if I never stop and ask the question for myself, and especially as a parent asking a question for my children, what are they becoming? Are they becoming people that are going to rely on the Lord and people that are going to trust in Him? Are they becoming a person who's trusting in God by their daily prayers and daily devotion with regard to the Word of God? Are they becoming somebody that God is going to fundamentally be pleased with? One man said it like this, our children are ours for a little while so that they can be his forever. Parents, that's a pretty good mission statement if you don't have one. Ours for a little while so that they can become his forever. What are your young people becoming? Small children, if you've got them at home, hold on to them tightly while they're young because before we know it, they will be running too if they're not already. Number three, 
Why should we run and tell the young man God's message of goodness and blessing for his life and for their lives? We need to run because Satan is running. Satan is running. You look at a couple of key passages that gives us a nature of our adversary. And how Luke 4, verse 13, after Jesus was tempted in the wilderness for 40 days, and Satan, it says, departed from him, not for good. Satan wasn't done with Jesus. He was on that instance. But he departed from him for a more opportune time. You go back to 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, the hallmark passage for why it is we shouldn't be prideful in our lives. And he says, be sober, be vigilant, for your adversary the devil walks about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. And you think more about this, and you go back to Job, and Job gives a full picture, an instance in Job chapter 1, where the sons of God come and stand before God, and Satan also comes among them, and God says, where are you from? And Satan says, I've been walking to and fro on the earth. If we know that there's a lion after us, If we know that there is a lion after our children, don't we take precautions? Wouldn't we take precautions? I know the coronavirus has concerned a whole lot of us with regard to how we conduct ourselves from day to day. I remember taking my son into Walmart, and neither one of us had masks on, uh, one, one day a couple of weeks ago. And as I was going through this, I was thinking, what's the wisdom of this? What's the wisdom of going through this, this store where there's thousands and thousands of people on any given day that come around? And I started thinking about the wisdom of taking our children into a place like Walmart. Again, for right or for wrong. I'm thinking about that. But when it comes to understanding that there is somebody who is after their soul, there's somebody that is a detriment to them and that is a clear and present danger as the Bible describes, why do we not take care in running to tell the young man that Satan's after them? To put it in perspective, Jesus said in Mark chapter 8, Verses 31 and following. What will a man give in exchange for his soul? What will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? To put it in perspective for our lesson this morning. What will a man get if he gains the whole world but loses his children? One man said, sin runs around the world twice while truth is still putting on its shoes. And there's truth to that. From a very young age, our children are exposed to so much sin, so much violence, so much godlessness, even from a young age. One of the things that the internet has done is given our kids unlimited access to everything. But it's also given everything unlimited access in a lot of cases to them. And as good as the internet is, and we can extol the virtues of that, we are foolish if we ignore the dangers of those things. That the internet, that the influences that we sometimes willingly bring into our house under the the guise, well, we need it. We need these things. If we ignore this, that this it's a doorway to sometimes to all things ungodly and unhealthy, if we don't monitor, if we don't think about the fact that we have an adversary that's running after our children. How have we bothered to teach, to encourage, to rebuke, to monitor, to supervise? 
And older people, if you have lived any length of time and, and you're especially a Christian, there are things that you were involved in and things that you've looked at and things that you've heard and things that you've said and things that you've done that you absolutely regret. You recognize that that was one of those times that you fell prey to the devil and to his traps. We have been there. We understand the failures and the difficulties. We don't want those things for our children. We don't want them to feel those things. We don't want them to experience those things. The lion's after them too. Why would we not want to warn them? And we can't, we know what sin's going to do, but we can't necessarily expect our children to have the discernment that we've gained over a lifetime just in a few years of living here on this earth. Said another way, and I don't mean to be shocking about this, but there was a man who was speaking of the dangers of cellular phones. And talking about this he was asked by a parent and the parent said let me ask you a question sir what would be the best age to give my child a smartphone and the man without hesitation said this what's the age that you want your children first to view pornography it's out there it's prevalent it's there and if we just hand these things over to our children, expecting that they're going to know how to use them responsibly, know how to use them wisely. Listen, I spent nine years as a youth minister. Almost every single problem that came along in the youth group had something to do with those devices. That either the parent wasn't monitoring or the young person sent something inappropriate to another young person or something was going on with that, with that device. And again, the device is not good or evil. But understanding that there is an adversary after us, that the devil is running hard after our children, parents, we've got to be wise with how we treat media, with how we treat the internet, with how we treat the influences that come into our homes. We will be held accountable in some part for how we've helped our children and how we've been running after them, trying to tell them that there's the devil after them. We've got to run, tell the young man, warn him, there is a lion. And so the question becomes, how? <laughs> we could just end the lesson right here and say, we need to run. Yes, absolutely. The question is, how? If we don't necessarily talk about the how, we've at least some part failed because the Lord has equipped us to be effective runners after our children. Understand this first. Brothers and sisters, we need to find God in stillness. Find God in stillness. Psalmist prayed, Psalm 46 and verse 10, Be still and know that I am God. Hebrews, writer in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, talking about the race that we are to run, he says, listen, you need to run the race with endurance. He says, you got to lay aside every weight and the sin that so doth easily beset us, the sin that trips us up and keeps us from running effectively. Lay those things aside. Jesus would talk about some things in our lives that are not worth having. He says, if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off, cast it from you. Your right eye causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you. Speaking of something that's costly, Matthew 5, 28 and 29. Speaking of a decision that we can't make lightly. But we make that decision because we're trying to effectively run and trying to effectively Help those people that are closest to us. But the truth of the matter is, God is seldom to be found in the busyness of our schedules. 
When we're running from place to place to thing to thing to, until it is that we all collapse in bed at you know, 9, 10, 11, 12 o'clock at night, and then we get up and we're running from 6 a.m. all the way through the day until the, definite, uh, until the time where we do it all over again, and we're running our days and we're running ragged and we're running ourselves and our children into the ground, you can almost bet that there's not going to be time for finding God in stillness. See, when, when Elijah was scared and when Elijah was afraid for his life, he went and he hid in the wilderness and, and he, 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 he wanted to find God. And this, and this is Moses, excuse me. And Moses, Lord, passed by. And it talks about, no, it's Elijah. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm getting my, my characters confused. And Elijah's there hiding and, and there was a whirlwind and an earthquake and all of those noisy, tumultuous things. But God wasn't found in any one of those things. God came to Elijah and is still small voice when we talk about quietness like the quietness of this hour where we can truly contemplate and think about the things that are truly important and we think about God and how we can't folks cram him into a life as an afterthought we have to be intentional about making quiet times And if we have a continually hurried life, sometimes that's evidence of a life that's lived too much in love with this world. John would say, 1 John chapter 2, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man loves the world, love of the Father is not in him. For all that's in the world, the less the flesh, the less the lies. The pride of life is not of the Father, but it's of the world. The world's passing away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. We've got to learn to slow down and think about our lives and think about the time that we have if we're going to be effective runners. Number two, we've got to emphasize God in our togetherness. Couple this with the first one. Deuteronomy chapter 6 is a hallmark passage written under the old covenant to parents. But it says when you get into this land... When you get into this land and you're living in these houses and you're, you're, you're eating a fruit of, of, of vineyards that you didn't plant and you're living in all these things that the Lord's going to give you, he says, you need to be effective teachers of your children. You need to talk about God with your children. When you walk by the way, when you sit down, when you rise up, when you're going from here to there, you need to write the word of God on the doorpost of your house and and make it like frontlets between your eyes and, and a seal on your arm. The word of God ought to be everywhere in our families, but note there's emphasis that we have got to be together in order to emphasize that effectively. How have we made time for our parents and for our families? Parents, how have we made time for our our families? We have times that are special just to us as families. Maybe a family night during the week. Maybe a morning where we all get together and we sit around the breakfast table and we have breakfast. It's not that we're all running 90 different directions all at the same time. Or how about evenings? That every evening at 6 o'clock we're going to be gathered around the dinner table to partake of this family meal so we can talk to one another, so that we can be together, so that we can visit about our days and have the time where we can unwind, where we can decompress, where we can share these things with one another in a way that's helpful, in a way that's godly, in a way that's going to emphasize God in our lives. Teachable moments. Teachable moments. 
As an educator, again, I, I, I taught several years, but I went through all the educational theory and, and things like that. But one of the things they told us as teachers, what you've got to be aware of and what you've got to be looking for are teachable moments. There may be a time where you're studying this particular curriculum and a child asks a particular question about something that may or may not be related to that, but at that time you have an opportunity to study and to talk deeply about something that can help this child in their life and in their, in their, in their development. Teachable moments. Parents, are we looking for teachable moments? Are we looking for opportunities to look outside and see the beautiful sunrise or beautiful sunset and say, isn't it wonderful that God has created this world good? Isn't it great that he's given us the rain that we can enjoy, but also the rainbow after the rain? Isn't it wonderful that that represents a promise of God that he's never again going to destroy the world by water? That's a great promise, especially us living down here on the Gulf Coast. That's a great promise to be reminded of. How have we found teachable moments? Here's another question, parents. How have we created teachable moments? Family devotionals. Sitting down, everybody all together before bed where we can share common joys, common struggles, where we can open up God's word together and learn something from it, where we can talk about what it means you know what? After every single Bible class that you watch online or attend, after every single lesson that you come out of from Sundays, don't miss that teachable moment. Talk to the kids when you're still, when you're together, when you're still together, when you're leaving out of the building and heading to lunch somewhere, when you sit down at that table at that restaurant. What did you think of Mr. Andy's sermon today? What did you think about the song that Joseph led before communion? I haven't sung that song in years. It's beautiful. What did you think about the way that Steve led that prayer? What was something that you got out of the lesson today that you can carry with you? We've got to find things. Run because our young people are running. Run because God's message is that important. Nobody on their deathbed wishes for more time at work. Nobody on their deathbed wishes for another paper in order to sign and pass off. People on their deathbed wish for more time with their families. Teach us to number our days, we may gain a heart of wisdom. Run, tell the young man, let's value God together in our time. Lastly, we've got to worship God in holiness. Worship God in holiness. In our lives, brothers and sisters, there ought to be non-negotiables. There ought to be things that we absolutely will not compromise on, things that we will uphold and we will hold on to no matter what. And as much as depends on us, we are going to be, well, at worship this morning with our Christian brothers and sisters, worshiping online and, and via live streaming and, and hoping that, that we're going to be able to be, be all together again soon. There ought to be things in our lives and our family's lives that are not up for discussion. And that ought to be front and center our obligation to be pleasing to God and to worship Him in holiness. Danger comes in making compromise one time. Because the minute you've opened that door for that compromise... The minute we say, well, we, we had a late night last night, and so we're going to sleep in this morning, but you know what? We'll come tonight, and that'll be okay. The minute we start opening up the door for those things, we're going to be 
well, inconsistent with our standards. The non-negotiables we have now negotiated, and we've said this is an acceptable reason for us to not attend worship and worship God in holiness. What we've got to understand, brothers and sisters, is God wants us to be separate from the world. 2 Corinthians 6, verses 16 through 18, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. The difference is that God says, I want you to be holy just as I am holy. And if we're truly following God and if we're truly following the example of Jesus, we've got to ask the question, where would Jesus be on Sunday morning? Where would Jesus be when it's time to worship on Sunday night? Where would Jesus be when it comes to Bible study and to to recharging our batteries and midweek services? If we take those things and worshiping God and, and following the example of the Lord and we take those things as negotiables, we're not running as effectively as we ought to. We're not making the priority the way we ought to. We cannot worship and serve God as we ought until we change our attitude towards the world. James again, James chapter 4 would say, Adulterers and adulteress, don't you know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? If we're trying to be too much friends of the world, if we're trying to follow too much of the world's values and the world's characteristics and the world's, world's value system, we can't be friends of God. We can't be the way that we ought to. Run, tell the young man, we're going to make a point to worship God and worship him in holiness. To put this up on the screen, simple poem. I looked at tomorrow through my young child's eyes, and I thought how carefully I must teach if I am to be wise. Parents who still have children at home, God bless you. Fathers that are trying to faithfully shepherd and to help your family get to heaven, God bless you. But we need to take seriously the charge that God has given us as parents to shepherd and to help these little souls to know him and to know the way he wants us to behave. Let me say this another way. If God were to schedule your life for the next month, if God were to have complete reign and complete priority over the schedule that you keep on a day-to-day basis for one month if God were to come in and completely revamp your schedule and you were obligated to follow that schedule what would he change what would he do differently what would he spend more time emphasizing what would he write on your calendar on your day-to-day planner in red ink what types of things would he make a priority to change if he were to give you that schedule and say here follow this for the next month how would it be different than the schedule that you're running from and day-to-day today you see brothers and sisters he's given us all things that pertain to life and godliness and he's told us how he wants us to change ourselves to be more in the image of Jesus. The question is, do we follow him? Are we different because we're following Christ? And the truth of the matter is, brothers and sisters, there's all things that we all need to change. Nobody does it perfectly. Nobody is a perfect runner as we live here on this earth. But the beautiful thing is, is that Hebrews chapter 4 tells us we have a high priest that sympathizes with us, that can understand the difficulty of what we face. 
and how he's enabled access to where we can go boldly before the throne of grace to find mercy and grace to help at time of need. And brothers and sisters, parents, we need to be praying for mercy and grace. We need to be praying for wisdom. We need to be praying that God would help us to make the most of our opportunities to teach us to number our days that we can gain a heart of wisdom, to teach us how to redeem the time because the days are evil, because, brothers and sisters, we are all marching towards an inevitable end. Unless the Lord comes first, there's a time appointed with us that our life is going to be over. And if we are not making adequate preparation and preparing those souls who are close to us, closest to us for that time, then we need to reassess our priorities. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. God has given us this day today to make changes in our lives. Do you realize that? God has given us this day so that you can draw closer to him. Whatever form that takes, if that is you looking in your heart and say, God, I haven't prioritized things the way I ought to, I pray for your forgiveness. I need to do a better job in organizing my schedule and the way that I spend my time and the way that I use my time and the way that I waste my time. God, I really need your help and your wisdom in my life. Forgive me. If we as the church can encourage you in that respect, we'd love to do that. We would love to help you and encourage you because, again, as I said, none of us does it perfect. And we all have room for repentance. But God has given you this day, if you are not a Christian, to make your life right with him. It involves faith, repentance, and obedience to the gospel in New Testament water baptism. If you have not done that, you have today. You have this moment right here. That's the only moment you have guaranteed to you. Jesus Christ, come back in the next 30 seconds, and then your time would be over. Do you need to make that decision today? Do you need to take advantage of that today? God help us. God teach us to number our days. We can gain a heart of wisdom. Let's stand and sing our invitation song.